Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. G'day all and welcome to this week's guest, John Millam. John, how are you? Fantastic, Ian. Thank you for having me on. You are so welcome. Uh, it's funny, I've, I've kind of watched your journey from afar. I think we did something programmed together many moons ago and then suddenly your stuff started popping up a fair bit around mentoring men. So uh, well, you've got to follow the nudges, right? And I went, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so grateful. Like I have no idea where I'm popping up. I hope it's welcome and I hope it's useful, but uh, yeah, of that course. sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, and particularly that stuff around men, a much, much needed space for them, a, a safe place to to talk and and explore whatever it is that they need to explore. And we'll get more into exactly what you do as we go. I wanted to start with, you know, those, that big moment and uh, and it's a big moment. So so tell us a bit about that that moment in your life that really stopped you in your tracks. Yeah, it's the it's the um, it's the right it's the you know it's the hairpin turn, right? I once saw a, a, a picture on the wall, you know, the corporate encouragements, you know, like those stupid memes that pop up. The only one yeah. that's ever stuck with me was um, a, a, a big turn, a hairpin turn in life. You know, is is only dangerous if you fail to make the turn. You know, like change is only a problem if you fail to make the turn. And yeah. there's a picture, you know, and I like that's so true. And it's been like with me ever since. Um, in 2006, I was overseas at work, you know, I was the corporate animal um, doing all the things I could. And um, my wife wasn't feeling well when I left and I came back and she was very sick. So I came back and um, ended up being diagnosed with um, stomach cancer, so bowel cancer. And uh, so the next 12 months was basically my my, my defining moment. Because from that, from being completely, you know, completely ignorant of what we were just about to go into and through mm. a journey with her as she fought so bravely and so, you know, incredibly, um, de- you know, determined and, you know, she was my hero at that point. Um, and then to, for her to lose that fight and to leave me, um I was always the one who was going to go. I was the one who was insured because I was big, loud, and reckless, right? I lived life um, on the paddock or off uh, or in the in the workplace or whatever. I was just, you know, full on. So we kind of had this um, agreement that you know, I'd be the one that would uh, I would fly flame out and go, and you know she'd be left to carry on. And it didn't work out that way, and uh, that changed everything. You, you cannot go through that process with someone you care about and not be changed. And um, 
there was so much in there, but I, there are two moments that really stand out for me. Yeah. And the, the first one was, <clears throat> it was a beautiful um, autumn, uh, beautiful spring day, sorry. Um, I live, you know, on the northern beaches and it's just a glorious place to live. And uh, we would, uh, we'd been to an appointment at the pathologist and I was walking her back to the car. She was so frail and she'd been a soldier, right? So she'd like strong and capable and she was so frail and she looked up at me at that moment and um and said thank you you know thank you for she thanked me wow. for, for you know because i was holding her up um and um at that moment i understood what true love is right i, I had up and you would not realize it but at that moment i really understood because what i felt was just this incredible um moment of overwhelming care where i just you know, is there anything i wouldn't do for this lady mm. including you know offer myself up as a as a you know you know my life for hers yeah and the ridiculousness of that was, you know, no, finding out what love is and having no way you know, to to carry it on, that changed me, right? You know, and it changed me in ways I, I don't, didn't understand but, you know, have spent the next, you know, 15 years exploring, right? So, and that started, yeah. really started me on a journey to seek understanding. Um, are you okay if we are you okay if we sort of talk more about those moments and and how that all unfolded? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I appreciate the chance to talk about it because um, it's one thing about grief, mate, and you would know this, right? That there's we shy away from these conversations because they're all you know socially awkward or we don't want to face it. But man, for me and other people who go through this, it's the most important thing in our lives, right? Oh, like even. Even 15 years later, I want to talk about grief, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the bit that comes to me there is when it happens to people close to us, we still don't know what to act, how to act. And <laughs> and even though, like, I don't know about you, but having gone through it when, it when it does, you're kind of like, oh, what's the right thing to say? And it, well, there's, there's no right thing. So, But I would love to hear more about, so when, what sort of thoughts are you going through? Are you are you able to be conscious of this, or you're just in such a state of shock that you're not? Or what sort of thoughts are you going in about? Like, you're questioning everything, right? Like, what's life going to look like? What what am I? What's happened? Like, you know, why? Why? All of those questions. What 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 were some of those conversations you had with yourself? Mate, um, wow, that's a huge com question and really, really useful. A couple of things. First of all. Um, you find out whether you um, whether you have any the will to live, right? Like, uh, so you know, I'm, I I now work in suicide prevention for men and so on. And one of the reasons is because of my ideation, right? Now that was down at that point. Um, I had lost. I had been. I met my wife. I sat in front of her in English, right? Now we we at one point we'd been in class together in third class, right? So. You know, like our relationship, you know, we didn't know each other or whatever, but uh, when I went to school and sat in front of her and, and we joined, we're in the surf club together. And so it was like a, a classic um, high school romance, right? So we were married 
early. Um, you know, did you know? Did, did work grew up together. So at that point, right? So she was, you know, I was forty-two years old. I had no idea about life outside of um, working with a partnership. I'd grown up at, with my wife, and so the first thing I was confronted with was the loss of who I was, because up until that point, I was a duo, mm. and I hadn't solved any problem in life. I hadn't solved any sort of major life decision, you know, any kind of, you know, you know, real grown-up kind of activity without her by my side. So being left as the as the sole remaining grown-up in that situation, I was ill-equipped because I was, I was a, you know, I was a lad, right, you know. Yeah. So I was, you know, and I I thought I was a good bloke. I thought I had, you know, I was a good good husband and a good father. What I discovered was I was a self-indulgent wanker. That's what I discovered, right? Um, That she was the superpower. She'd enabled my life to be so good, right? So when you're left there with nothing but the, you know, the 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 hole where all the good things that come to you, you've just got to find a way to survive. So you've got to find a way to survive, and then learn how to redefine, relive, right? So. I'm very, very proud of the fact I got through that, um, just surviving, right? I made mistakes. I was crazy. I did, you know, decisions were all over the place. I uh, was running on adrenaline for a couple of years, you know, didn't sleep, you know, did crazy things all the time. But um, there was no doubt, you know, just getting through was a, is what I'm proud of. You know, not not the, the fact that I didn't, you know, I didn't destroy too much in the process, right? I had three kids, 13, 10, and five at the time, and just getting them, my son got married last week, and um, just seeing them together, um, and they're beautiful kids, and they were glowing, and um, I'm so excited to see them. I know there's ne- you know, there's necessarily a distance in that, but um, because... You know, crikey, I was a crap father, but, you know, I had to learn and I got better and now they're just, they're doing great. Right? So yeah, but at the time, I never imagined it. So I always think of it as that stone that got thrown into the pond at that time created this splash that was just, you know, it was like an explosion in my life. So everything got thrown out and everything got messed up and, but the ripples from that stone started heading out and forced a change in my life. So I would not have the relationship I have with my kids now if I wasn't for, forced to, to, to raise them. Yeah. So I wouldn't give that up. Even if I would, I'd take back that day in a minute, I wouldn't give up the relationship with our kids. And I wouldn't give up my passion in life now, which is, serving men and serving, you know, uh, the mental fitness and well-being of others in my community, man, I, you know, there are corporate wankers are a dime a dozen. I don't want to be one of them anymore. Um, I, uh, you know, my job is different. I'm, I'm now, I now know what I need to be doing. And that's coming from, you know, as Maya Angelou says, you know, want to find your passion, look to your wound. Um, you know, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, 
exactly what you described there. I'm sure many go through, and and I'm glad you highlighted that because sometimes in grief, people can get stuck in feeling guilty about there being a good side. But I can relate to that a lot. And the same, like I I hate to think what my parenting would have continued to be if I hadn't have gone through the experience that I'd experienced. Yeah, yeah uh, I'd, I'd I'd hate to think where my my life would have gone. I'd probably be still just running around in circles, not really knowing where I was going. And, and again, I, I, I couldn't give up what I've got now. Of course, yeah. I would want things to be different. And that's okay to have both of those thoughts. So true. And, yeah, and I'm glad you highlighted that. I often it's think not- of it as parallel lives, right? And there's, you know, another one ceases to grow. One ceases to grow, but the other shoots off on this growth um, spurt almost, right? So you don't yeah. give up who you were, but it ceases to become relevant to your current situation, right? So yeah. Every now and then, sorry. Thank you, every now and then I just jump in and, you know, it's beautiful. Like at that wedding, you know, I, I have to be honest, I was triggered, right? My, yeah. My, um, you know, I'm watching my son and, you know, and his best man, his brother and, you know, all the family and gather around. They did the whole thing. The celebration was beautiful on every level. And I'm sitting in the corner going, the only thing I could say is I wish, you know, I, you know, I wish I was here with uh, the person, you know, that I've, I've missed every day since. Um, and the interesting thing about that was the acceptance that I wasn't going to bring that into the wedding, right? So I felt sadness and joy sitting next to each other right and yet i and distance because i was going through something that i couldn't um share with anyone in that moment so you know it's like you know grief involves that kind of stoic ownership you know if you will it's not a bad thing it's just a like i think it's tough but it for me like you know i just you know once you accept that that's the outcome your life is different you go through it and then a couple of days later you're just excited that your kids are married you know you're over it and you've done it well and you haven't laid any burden on anyone else and i feel good about that yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i was going to ask about like that that must have been emotional because it's an emotional day anyway right one of your children getting married and you add that into the mix that that duality that you talk of you would love your wife to have been there but that emotional pride of of seeing like all of your children on that day like yeah. man what like magical in so many other in so many ways but also like yeah you described it really well thank you i'm, I'm glad you're preempting my questions too john thanks <laughs> just, hey, you're, you're 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 inspiring your energy is inspiring me so <laughs> well played thank you uh i did i did want to ask a bit more about that um what you talked about there with with all the goodness that's come from the grief yeah how did you deal with the inevitable guilt around yeah. that around finding a positive element of your life on the back end of that or almost like it almost sometimes feels like directly as a result of oh absolutely you've got um you uh, so you start off like for me i started off in anger right and i was bloody angry right and uh, and i i understand that now in particular because 
to, to be honest, um, men don't have a vocabulary around expressing a, a, a complex, you know, nuances in terms of emotional um, landscape, right? We, it's very difficult for us to describe what's going on below a superficial level, right? And so often anger is our go-to language in areas of, of emotional, you know, challenge. Yeah. I get it, right, because anger is protective, right? One of the things about from being a kid with so, social anxiety, right, which I didn't even know I had, right, until, you know, you know I'm 55 years old, <laughs> right, and, you know, um, I solved that like some people withdraw, some people have, you know, clinical anxiety. I solved it by being a bull and charging at everything, right? So, mm. you know, I, I took it head on, right? So, you know. So, you know, I was inevitably going to be in, you know, fights or, you know, I'm going to be loud and obnoxious, big. I was always going to be big because, you know, you're hard, it's hard to be, you know, when you take up space, it's hard to be worried about the space you're taking up. You know, it's just, and I found um, anger really did help, but it then, but it shuts everything off. So the real essential, it, 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 it puts you into fight, flight, and that's no way to live, right? You can get through a few challenges, but if you don't get out of that threat response, you 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 start manifesting it physically. Yeah, it's exhausting break, too, right? Oh, and you break relationships and connections. You start to become irrational. You start to become defensive, and then you start to manifest the physical responses, right? So you know you you know, and of course, to escape that. There are some really unresourceful choices, which is, you know, you know, I had to pull physically away from the the desire to drink myself to a stupor and all of that stuff, right? So, um, thank God, I love to talk. <laughs> the challenge was to find people to talk to. Yeah, no one wants to talk to a bloke who's seen there. Everyone's got, a, you know, the level of discomfort comfort was palpable on everyone's face. So when you walk up and you talk to someone you know well and all you can see is them wanting to get out of there you know, because you've got this huge event, <clears throat> you seek other, other options. So the next thing I had to do was to work out where I could find conversation and in that conversation I found it with because um, uh, I had a young daughter, I was had an opportunity to connect to women's support right and um women talk about emotional things so i discovered a, a way to <clears throat> share some stuff to get some stuff off the hill and that started me going from anger to curiosity and um i i look at it like i don't think um there are any atheists on a crashing plane yeah and, right. um, that's a great call like i i i was who was I angry at, right? You're like, I was angry at my wife um, for leaving me. I was angry at my kids for burdening me. I was angry at someone for leaving me in this position, right? So when she was sick and, and I was bargaining, when she's gone, I'm, I'm yelling. But I realised when, when the anger sort of died down, I found a spiritual place because... Who, who was I yelling at? <laughs> That's a great point. So, so, so did you go then from the guilt 
to anger really quickly? Like, is that was that kind of how you dealt with it, or was that anger avoided? was my response? Oh yeah, so that's a great point. Anger was my response to guilt, right? Because like I felt it immediately. Like the first thing after we'd been through chemo and you know after the exhaustion of riding this roller coaster of illness and mm. and pain, like my wife was in incredible pain as a husband standing there, right, being completely unable to, to offer relief. That's my job. And the fact all that when she passed, I was actually relieved, right, just haunted me, right? So yeah, right. I had such guilt about that because my job had been complete. like she, when she thanked me, when she looked up and thanked me, all I could feel was, my God, I, have, I am so short of being a bloke here. Right, I'm. You know, I could carry her. I'd die for her, but I don't have that opportunity. I would have felt better dying for her than than her thanking me. Right? Yeah. Um. The point that you made then, that's that's not one that's come but, up that I can remember. You know, but, we, no. Oh, sorry, you dropped out then for a second. I thought you'd finished. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, good. Yeah, I had. Not um, one that's come up. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Relief. And is part of the process, and then and then oh no, like that can't possibly be relief, but yeah. there is like for whatever reason, whether it's like the if they were sick and the build up, whether it was um, something else in the in a relationship, like whether it's a parent or a partner or a brother or a child or whatever, it's there's just there's a stress there, and when and part of that is no longer there, well of course there's going to be relief. But it's like, yeah, grappling with that. So, so how did you? Everything as a bloke, everything as a bloke. You know, like I had committed to protecting my family. Uh, I recognised uh, that I was the, you know, I was the the protector, the provider. I was the strong one, right? Everything about that situation confronted my masculinity, right? As well as my, you know, like your heart's breaking, but you're also like feeling completely useless, right? And no one wants to be in that space. So yeah, relief was, and then relief and then guilt is tied up with that because you have, you just feel like you haven't done everything. I, I'd, I'd say, oh, look, we're gonna, I'm gonna gather you up and we're gonna go to Lords and pray if we have to, right? You're like, um, um, and I got to do none of it. I was like a, a, a useless spectator to, to, you know, the damn wall busted and all I could do was stand there and watch, right? Mm. Um, and yeah. I think uh, just thinking about that now, it's like we can only do the best we can with the resources we had at the time. And usually what happens is we learn all the resources after the fact. So it's when you're going through it and particularly the aftermath, which can last for two days or, or 20 years, yeah. it's just giving yourself a leave pass that you, you only knew what you knew at the time. And that's like that, you know, I know we're, we're sort of on this arc, but that's where I'm, 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 that's where it took me to now, right? The idea that um, what's the purpose of having that lesson, right? You know, if it's not to, um, you know, to catch someone for, you know, who is, you know, flowing down, out of control down the river of, of that experience. And what I'm going to do is, hey, I say, hey, I've learned to swim, so I'm going to dive in and sort of guide you, not stop you because, you know, life is inevitable and unstoppable. But I'm just going to, you know, we're going to go and float down together. Um, 
you mentioned you're now helping people with suicide prevention. What was there thoughts of that through that time? Yeah, I had um, I had that. Um, you know, I lived on a um, with the views of Pitwater over in the Northern Beaches, right? So, and at three o'clock in the morning, it's beautiful, but there's it's also dark and um, and um, enticing, right? Because to be honest, the suicide is not about wanting to die. It's about wanting to get away from pain. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that I was going to wake up early the next day and be faced with experiences that I was struggling just to keep a hold of, right? And I was going to be faced with my own incompetence, my own despair and pain of, of loss. And here's a, here's a little aside quickly. I discovered that I was mostly grieving not my wife, who in many ways was still with me, right? You know, like we parted on good terms, you know, almost, yeah, right, even yeah, though it's yeah. horrific, right? Yeah. I didn't, you know, there was no loss of love. In fact, it was probably at its greatest, mo uh, you know, in our relationship, a 27-year relationship, that was the strongest, you know, the most I'd ever felt love for. But that, yeah. um, what we did, you know, but she wasn't there, so, you know, she couldn't contribute. But what I did grieve was at all the plans I'd made, all my life, you know, my the ease of my life, my expectation of getting up by yourself when you have been with someone for 27 years is miserable, right? So, like, I, grief, I grieved. It was grief for me, not for her, you know. It was for what I was missing out on. And I so there's this sense of, you know, you know bite it, John. You know, like that's, you know, that your job is to put put through, but... At night, at three o'clock, when you're looking out into this beautiful cold landscape of dark and, you know, moonlight, you go, well, you know, if I go now, I don't have to wake up. I don't have to hurt. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to feel incompetent. I don't have to feel overwhelmed and hopeless, which is the key area. You know, like I had no, I, I didn't belong to someone and something now. I wasn't a partner. I, I felt completely lost from that connection. So until I could put myself back together and gain some identity, um, I was vulnerable. So I was often thinking about suicide. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, what keeps you going is not is not what you think. It's not, you know, in many ways I thought as I am, I, I'm the kids are better off without me or, the you know, the world's better off. You know, I'm miserable. I'm always sort of struggling. I'm angry. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not very competent. Mm, so I a... think... That's a great insight in itself just there. Like it's not what you're thinking. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, I, I just meant, okay, so what keeps you um, is just these small little lanterns of light that come into your life from people, um, you know, just, you know, like a conversation. And this is what I would tell to other people who are supporting someone in grief. Um, there's not just go with your heart. There isn't a script that you need to follow to talk to someone. I remember, put it this way, one of the um, one of the things that still resonates with me, still beautiful, is I came home one day and I just had a shit day. It was quite, it was a few months after my wife had passed and um, I was struggling. And a mate who I coached his son at footy, who's now in the Aussie team, but... Um, 
uh, a mate who was a, this wonderful landscaper and great guy. But I, I came home, he was in my garden and he had just landscaped, you know, like he'd revitalised my front garden. And um, I just, Russ, what's going on? And he just goes, oh, I just thought you needed, it needed a bit of a tidy up. And, and that, mate, that just like, he didn't have to say anything. He just didn't want anything. He, you know, we didn't have this, you know, we, we had a great, you know, we were, had a friendship, but he didn't have this great relate. We didn't sit down and discuss it or anything. But just that, that was enough to anchor, you know, those kind of things happened periodically or, you know, people unexpected would just reach out. You know, you'd pop into a shop and someone goes, oh, John, I heard about it, you know, and then you'd get a coffee for nothing, right? It's just those little things and gestures of heartfelt connection. That that kept, that kept me alive. Mm, and if we go back to what we talked about before, like what's the right thing to say, the right thing is action. It's anything that your heart tells you to do. Mm. And it could be popping in unexpected. It could be, you know, you know, Drop, you know, plant, putting a plant in someone's garden. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be a, a, a quick hug um, or a conversation, right? And one that is, you know, a brave conversation, right? Saying, oh, hey, we're going to talk about something you want to talk about, even yeah. if it makes me upset, you know? Awesome. Oh, yeah, because that's it, right? People obviously, obviously, obviously not, that's not the word I was looking for, often they, they're not sure how to deal with it and it's uncomfortable for them. So rather than be uncomfortable, they go, oh, I can't make any decision and they opt out altogether. Yeah. Which is what you described there when, when they were standing. You said that people were standing there looking really like, oh, I couldn't wait to get out of here. I couldn't, yeah, and you could see it. And it's interesting because people are there to comfort you and you end up doing the job for them, right? You end up using your limited resources to letting them mm. off the hook, right? I almost felt like saying, "Don't, don't, don't comfort me because I'm too exhausted looking after you." <laughs> yeah, and I've heard people describe this before. It's like people say, "Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss," and then you go, "No, it's okay." Like, and you start comforting yeah. them, and that is so yeah. back to front. But that—that's so many would identify with that. I, I, I like you. You literally have limited resources to hold yourself together. And, like, you can't blame anyone because, like, I get it, right? You're like the heart, you know, they want to be there, but they just don't know how or they've never practised it or whatever. And so they turn up and the it's so draining. It's not unusual for, like, you don't hear it articulated, but people often people pull away from being supported during that period of grief, right? And I think it's that, right? I do not, I don't have... The energy or the awareness to to support all of you guys while you're trying to support me, so go away. <laughs> and I, yeah. I just went. It would be so much better for us to to learn some of this stuff, um, you know, particularly as kids. I, if I can, just one quick anecdote. There was um, yeah. a, there was a, a beautiful lady at uh, my school. So when my kids. Uh, my oldest was at uh, in year seven. Now the uh, the year manager, the year um, teacher coordinator, advisor, yeah, advisor was um, this lovely lady, and you know we spoke because of the challenges of of having a a, a thirteen year old, you know, going through this experience. 
tragically, her beautiful daughter passed away a, a few years later. And she was only 15 at the time, I think. So, And it was like this incredible tragedy. So my my second son was in her her year. So, you know, I had this... Um, I had this experience. We went, so I took um, my son and his mates to the funeral. And uh, at the end, you know, there, there's kind of this, you know, service was so impactful. But, the, you know, the family line up and people will walk past and offer their thoughts, right, which is just excruciating. But the, my boys were lining up and I said, you've got to say something because uh, as a teacher and as friends of her daughter, right, it was really important that, you know, is a you know that they connect, and I felt, and they're looking at me, and they're going, "What do I say?" And at that moment, you're know, like, "I, it's still difficult for me." But I'm saying, "Look, even if you say nothing, all you do is look look her in the eyes, and you just you know whatever comes to you as like, um, it, just make it real, you know, even if it's a tear or." Just to, you know, just grab a hand and just be there and just show yourself that and show this what you're feeling. Be be brave about that, you know. And you could say something like, "I don't know what to say," which is exactly you know completely connecting, right? Because no one knows what to say. It's being authentic. Anyway, so the boys did, and they did a great job. I was proud of them. And then I would suddenly realised it was my turn. And she looked at me and said, does it get any better? And I went, oh, gosh. And I, you know, I thought I was being the champion. And, of course, it triggered everything in me and I was a mess. So, you know, I didn't know what to say. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. But I just went, man, we need practice at this. We need to teach it. We need to share it. So, And mm. those boys, you know, they're better off as a result of that experience. Well, in the past, we tend to keep young people away from that, right, and dependent, you know. Does that make sense? It does very much so, and even though, like just what we we talked about before, right? even though you'd been through it, you, you, nothing prepares, and you just got to do your best in the situation, and, and and know that everyone else is doing the same. You, you you just touched on your children, like how have you navigated that? Like being now being a single dad, them going through their own grief while you're battling with yours. Like what's been the biggest challenge and the biggest, uh, I guess, learning through that? Yeah. Yeah, it's so, um, and it's a time of reflection for me now, you know, because they're all, so now they're 28, um, 25 and 20, just becoming 21. So, you know, the youngest was five, right? So this idea of um, getting them through, right? I'm very, I'm really proud of them and I'm really, you know, proud, a little, you know, a little sheepish, but proud of what um, we've done together, right? But the learning is it's um, there are two things. They're both children incredibly fragile and incredibly resilient. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, there's so, you know, they're so capable of, of holding themselves together and getting through this. The biggest influence on their life is, is me. It was me, right? So when I was angry, I was not serving them at all. Right, I was just, and I was a real challenge. Uh, part of the uh, part of the thing about the, having the kids was that I needed, I knew I needed to learn. So you know, I sought wisdom where I could. 
Um, some got in and some didn't. Some took a, a while. What I now know is um, I made a mistake not sharing my sac uh, my sacrifices. I didn't. In I kept them out of decisions. I made a mistake about doing that. Um, I showed them. Basically, I pretended. Uh, to create a life that I felt was like a, a li of little impact to them, right? So I, you know, I, I sort of, I sat, I compensated by giving them things and, you know, like making their physical existence, you know, as re relative. Of course, that caught up to me because essentially uh, your uh, grief made me crazy. So I ended up being diagnosed with complicated grief syndrome and then making all sorts of awful decisions which is another story because having losing everything I, 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 I understood I had, you know, I was pretty in a pretty good place materially, but losing all of that actually gave me the final um, keys to the lock, right, of connecting truly and honestly to the world and particularly to my kids, right? So um, I made the mistake of not sharing because they, of course, are impacted. Right, I could not make it go away. Right, they can't. You can't lose your mum and just go. Oh well, Dad's uh, fixed it. Right, he's. It's like it's not like you punch a hole in the wall and then you just put it there in the plaster and paint over and it's all gone. Right, nothing, nothing compensates. Right, and there was no way anything I could do, say, or give them compensated for the loss of their mum. So the fact that I was trying to you know, create create this existence where, you know, mum was unnecessary was actually painful for them, right? Mm. So, you know, and it created a distance because I wasn't being real with my life and suffering, right? It's like, I, you know, my pretending about, about being crazy didn't fool anyone. All it felt was they weren't being invited into my world, right? They weren't, uh, they weren't welcome, which is so far from the truth. I thought I was protecting them and I was actually not. So, yeah, wow. and, and uh, um, you know, the, the big thing, one last thing, the big thing is um, asking, you know, sharing, uh, sharing the situation is great. Putting a burden on them is not. So for me, you know, when I said, oh, you've got to help me out with this, that, that was abdicating my responsibility. So, you know, not, you know, I didn't need them to live my life. I just needed them to know what my life was and that for me to be honest and open about it. You still did the best you could with what you knew at the time, right? I've, I've forgiven myself. I, I'm sad that there's, you know, but I, like, I'm, I'm not dead, right? So I've got, you know, time and, I, you know, I can be as good a person now as possible as I can possibly be. And as a consequence, bridges will be built, right? You know, um, and uh, like, you know, we're good together. We're just distant. And what it's not like if I was my dad, he would think that, you know, this family dynamic was a bit gooey, you know, <laughs> a bit soft because he was a rat bag, right? And like, you know, emotions were unwelcome in our world, right? Yep. Now I'm sitting here, all that I know, I'm I'm able to do a men's circle and say to all the men in that circle, I love them. 
I, I want to be able to, and I can say that to my kids, but there's still that, you know, awkwardness. I just want to be closer to my kids, right? And that's um, that's something, that's a project, you know, in progress. Um, uh, and it's not a problem. It's just where we are, right? Part of the journey. And as a consequence, every decision is the best decision we make, as you so rightly point out. You know, the, you know, the assumption is, I'm making decisions with the best resources and understanding I have. Um, and so I can forgive myself. And then, but the awareness, what's on me is for me to, to then say, well, if I know more now, I can do more now. Right? Yeah, that's a great point. I don't imagine you ever get to the point when you're a parent where you've worked out that whole dynamic. Like It'd just be a constant learning the whole way along the journey, right? And I'm sure you and I have the, had the same thought, mate, where I wish I didn't know this. Because <laughs> there's, a, like, in ignorance, there's this sense of, oh, like, let's go fishing, right? You know, like, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's parenting, right? So, mm. uh, oh, yeah, it, it, it's, for me, it's turned up as a thought of, I wonder what life would be like if I hadn't gone through all of this. Because when you get the really challenging moments of it, then you're like, oh, man, yeah, would it be worth going back to how it was? But then the reality when you unpack that is no chance. The call to arms uh, I have, you know, I have a kind of stoic philosophy now, so I call it a modern stoicism where I try to bring in all of the wisdom that I've gained and put fit it into a stoic. So, I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm, you know, I don't want to be a martyr. I want to be an informed, intentional, you know, grounded individual right as a bloke which means that i'm i'm okay with being in the box as a bloke right whether you know because i still love you know rugby and a good stoush or whatever but you know <laughs> but at the same time i recognize that there are other aspects of being a bloke and i can be uh, cultural i can be nurturing i can be vulnerable right and that to me is is opens up the whole world of me the completeness of me as a man Right. So I don't misunderstand that, you know, the old me. Um, I just realize that I choose to be the new me because it feels good. <laughs> you know? And it's actually yeah. this sense of I much prefer um, a loving conversation with a good bloke than I do with this old um, posturing, you know, like are we going to end up in the car park type stuff? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. A hundred percent. And uh, yes, that can be challenging for some people because they've used to it being of not feeling good. So that's become the comfort. Yeah. But ultimately, why wouldn't we not want more of that? Because the because the bad, the stouches, the fights, the refusing to buckle our on our thoughts and opinion and needing to be right, that always leaves us feeling bad on the other side of that. It does. There's like it's um I remember the very first time I drank scotch. Right, <laughs> you know, everyone. Um, I've never been a Scotch drinker. Was never meant to be in my, you know, in my system. And everyone was raving about it. Said, "Wait till you taste a good one." And I remember my grandfather gave me a Scotch, and I seriously had never tasted anything as bad as that. Right, <laughs> and yet, you know, and yet, you know, all these blokes, the entire you know environment, where they were all knocking their Scotch back and raving about how they experience, and you were left with sitting there going, you know. Not, it wasn't just about not enjoying the taste of it, right? It was not fitting in. It was not yep. being real. It was like all this stuff. And I go, crikey, you know, now 
if someone gave me a scotch, I'd go, look, I love you, but I'm not drinking that shit, you know? <laughs> right? I, I like... I like feeling like I'm not, I don't want to vomit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, I remember doing that when we, we did our travels in Scotland, you know, straight from the yeah. source. And my mate's going, wow. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, it's not me. It's okay now for me not to be me because it yes. doesn't diminish my experience and it doesn't yes. diminish my love for them. I don't feel disconnected just because we're not doing the same thing. And I yeah. love that space for two blokes getting together. Yeah. It means every guy is a potential friend now instead of a potential worry. Mm. And and of all the gifts, that could be the greatest, to just to be comfortable, to make your own decisions that's right for you yeah. without having to think about can I fit in, how's this gonna someone else gonna react, all of those different things. So true. I, I like I always knew, like my wife saved me from my childhood and she now had saved me from my manhood, right? So, um, you know, I would, I owe everything to her, even whether she's here or not, right? Yeah. Just her memory has driven me to a different place. And the goosebumps I got when you mentioned her says that she's, she's there, right? She's there all the time. She is. And what I also discovered is I can love is inexhaustibly expansive so you know can i you know can i can you be in another relationship and love in fact i'm informed in love by my by what i've worked out as a result i she taught me what you know the the great greater nature of love and i've got that willing to you know ready to give to other women right and in relationships and stuff you know you know up to this point I've never been, you know, in a, I've had wonderful relationships have taken us to some point and the nature of seasons is, um, you know, is something I also learned, but that's a different podcast. But the, the, um, the, the, the love that I have out of this is the ripple that's, you know, that tells me good and bad is not, is, is own, is not really an appropriate measurement of, of, significant life events like grief is the beginning of a journey that has every type of ripple both good and bad ripples mm, well said you mentioned you were diagnosed with complicated grief that is not something i've heard about so can you explain what was going on for you and and what that actually means to dsm um the dsm5 is the the psychologist's Bible, right? Um, it describes, um, you know, clinical conditions. Um, and I think they've decided grief is, um, you know, a clinical diagnosis up to a point, but they say everyday grief isn't there, isn't, you know, is just life. But once it gets to a certain point of disruption, they need to put a diagnosis around it. Right. Uh, that really annoys me, but at least when you've got a diagnosis, it can help by, you know, sort of, it makes de descriptions easier. We don't need a, I don't need a podcast to talk to a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, so complicated grief is described as grief that doesn't um, subside in a few months and continues to interrupt your life in certain ways. Now, I think that is the dopiest definition ever. But um, 
you know, like, right, it's going, okay, I've just lost my wife, but it's been six months, so now I'm, you know, pretty much happy to get on with shit, right? And I just go, look, if some people might be in that position, but, like, I guarantee not one person who has gone through that without significant changes being, you know, evident in their life, right? So for me, um, I repressed a lot of grief. So over time, without processing that because of anger and stoicism and all of those kind of blokey box, man box things, I um, didn't um, didn't process it. I, I thought of it. Uh, I've thought of it as a, um, you know, I worked in corporate IT, so I often, you know, if you had a full system shutdown, say you, you know, your, you know, system down, when you come back up, you turn on the the emergency system comes on first, right, and gives you very limited function, but the lights are on and the doors are open, right? Yep. Um, and then slowly, as you get on top of whatever caused the problem, you know, systems come back on. In, at it. But each point they come back on, you're again in the problem, right? So as you as you process enough things, say to turn back on your, you know, future thinking, right, as a system, right? Oh, maybe I can make plans, switch it back on, and then you go, oh, crikeys, I'm thinking about the plans we used to have and now. So you're constantly dealing with different things at different times. Um, such a great metaphor, it's the especially that first bit you said when the emergency power comes on and and you're functional but there's a whole lot of things that aren't working oh so good and and like people look at you and they go oh the lights are on the doors are open and they go oh okay you're beauty right yeah, and yeah. you go yes right all you can say is yes you know you got you know people oh are you feeling good yeah 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 i'll be good you know because there's no other response there's no nuance or capability to understand where you are all you're doing literally is keeping the lights on <laughs> what strikes me there is that every single person that I've helped, which pretty much means everyone in the world would be the, the same, we're all experiencing complicated grief because to say that in two months is enough time to work through not not even just the, the actual event, but it's all, everything related to the relationship with that person or yeah. that situation, or like yeah. we'll get more onto to your your leave you leaving your corporate career yeah. in a minute. But like, of course, things are going to be continuing to go on because there's so much depth and so many elements to it. And if you have moved on in two months, well, then my thoughts would be you're actually just ignoring all the other stuff that's going on, and, and you haven't healed at all. I can tell you about that is so true. I can tell you about three years down the track. I was still doing my corporate job, you know, I was still, uh, it was getting tough, right? Um, I started, for the first time, I, was, I started, you know, going, didn't know how to date, so I started, you know, doing things like, you know, speed dating just to find out, you know, what is going, the prospect of a relationship. And I had a, um, I drove to work one day and there was a lot happening, right, and I was feeling out of control. I sat in the car and... Um, I had this feeling I had no idea what's going on, but I thought I was dying. Yeah. thought I was having a heart attack, couldn't breathe, couldn't, um, couldn't move. Um, every breath I took, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to take another one. I now know, oh, like I found out that I was having an anxiety attack. But just the idea of an anxiety attack was anathema to me as a bloke who, you know, 
you know, kicked ass. He didn't you know, suffer from anxiety, right? Yeah. But that was, and I absolutely identify that with, you know, as I started sort of the contemplation of having another relationship that opened up, I switched on that um, potential intimacy system, you know, and suddenly, you know, all of that anxiousness and stuff coming back. And now it's a really complex situation, but that was three years after I'd lost my wife. I'm sitting in a car park and I couldn't move for five hours. So I actually got to work in the morning, sat in my car for five hours, turned it on. When I finally got a sense that I wasn't going to die, I turned it off and drove home. Now, um, and that took me out. It took me ages. And that sort of, that started me going to a psychologist. Uh, um, I was having conversations, but Interestingly, you know, I wasn't switched on for psychologists either. I wasn't prepared to share everything with a psychologist, right? So it's in, it was an important step, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough at that time. So they're talking about complicated grief, right? That's when I got diagnosed with complicated grief because it's three years down the track. But for me, that experience was brand new, right? I'm just switched on that ability to feel, right? So I had been operating on autopilot in that area, right, you know, for um, three years, I'd never dealt with that. It had just come up. I I would suggest, and you can tell me if this resonates or not, is that probably longer than three years because if you had that moment just as your um, wife's passing of of feeling that that unconditional love, then there's probably a fair past of of not switching on those emotions at many different times prior to that as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, And in fact... You know, um, a, a, number, a few years ago, right, I realised um, that I hadn't um, dealt with all of the complexities of that. So I, I, I pulled myself out of the, you know, because like the one thing you do when you have a relationship that's long term and then you lose your uh, partner, you expect the first things you do is expect relationships to be like the one you had. Right. So, you know, and of course, every relationship is different. You connect with people differently. Um, yep. And so, you know, getting, understanding that and, and processing your willingness to have a different model and have a different experience, you know, so really just a few years ago, I, I stepped back and said, I'm going to, um, I'm going to keep, I'm going to focus on working this out, you know. So what I went through only a few years ago where I started and said, I, I'm just going to work on, um, on, on not needing to be in a relationship. Right. So for the first time in my life, being satisfied that I, you know, and to be alone, right? Because up until that point, right, I, I, I was either, you know, desperately trying not to be alone or I wasn't alone. Right? So mm. um, um, can we talk a bit more about that? Because as someone myself who's a, an extrovert and has had that uh, dependency on on other people for validation and and connection, all those different things. My shift away from corporate was a journey into I'm spending a lot of time alone and being able to make peace with that and actually being okay in my own company and pausing long enough to experience whatever was coming up. And it's yeah. and it's like all of that, you know, the office or the teams or all those environments I love were really just an avoidance tactic. So, yeah. so if we if we look at that through the lens of what you're doing now, 
Mm. What's the important message for men around that? Because I know yeah. so many of them are feeling lonely. They're feeling isolated, even living within a family unit. What, yeah. what can you shine a light on for them to help them through that and take steps to change that? So I'll start with a warning in response to that, right? Um, and this was a piece of sage advice from a grief counsellor years ago because she just told me a piece of a fact. She says that most women respond when they lose their partner, they will uh, couple up for long term within eight years. Right? And most men will couple up within eight months. Interesting. And, and um, I... That really uh, resonated because when I, I when I was honest, I sat down and had an honest review of my position. I went, I'm looking for a PA, um, I'm looking for a nurse, childcare, cook, cleaner, um, you know, mental health first aid operator, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, a fine, uh, you know, an accountant, right. And not to mention, you know, a bed, you know, a bedroom worker as well, um, <laughs> um, and confidant, right? And I yeah. said, okay, or I'm looking for a wife, right? And you know, it, I know it was misogynistic of me, but I said yeah. all of those gigs I could pay for, or I could get married, right? So it's I can completely understand the attractiveness of that, right? Yeah, uh, of of coupling up, but I I I realised that is not. A, a, a respectful way of connecting with someone. Now I get it, you know, like the, you know, love and appreciation. Then people um, join together for lots of reasons, right? And that, you know, and love comes you know, is complicated. I, who am I to tell them whether they're, you know, what love is? But what I would ask them to do, ask men to do, is to is to at least be honest with yourself about what is motivating you towards a connection, right? Because when I looked at that, I realised. No, I needed to be much better. Just like the work you've done, I needed to be good alone first before I really was um, capable of connecting. Um, and I needed to be intentional about, you know, the emotional side of it, right? Why am I getting here? How does how do we work going forward? And it has to be greater than the than a, it's not about you know. Tom Cruise has a lot to answer for in. Um, in that you know you complete me because a, a person shouldn't be completed by their partner they should be challenged by their partner right they should be expanded by their partner that's my take right and um yeah. and that really served me well in terms of understanding um how to you know to care so i've, I've often worked with men to just say hey you know let's take a look at this where we are now what is really needed? You know, what are you after for? Are you after regaining something you've lost or are you gay, Are you after um, bringing something new into the world? Mm. And sometimes, we, yeah, we, we overcomplicate it and yet that's sometimes as simple as it needs to be. What do you I, don't I want? Think, what do you don't yeah. want anymore or what do you want now? Yeah, and I always think forget about, you know, putting a list of requirements out there for a woman. When you are the man you would like to, you know, you would like to be, the woman you, you know, who who is ready for you comes into your life, right? So, mm, so renovate yourself, not put out a list of, of um, you know, bill of articles out there, right? You know, like, you know, mm, mm. you know, don't want to bill of materials out there saying I'm looking for this, this and this. 
say yeah. I am this, this, and this. Yep. Don't um don't chase butterflies. Create the garden, and the butterflies will come. Oh, so true. Yeah. 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 So good. Um, now, how do you go then from being in a corporate career to then helping men the way you do now? Was, was there was there more um, more moments in and around suicide? Was there was there another moment of darkness that that had you yeah. motivated to change and then realise that actually that we need more help in this space? Yeah, insightful, mate. Yeah, there was. So the journey begins when you are when you lose everything you know to be you, right? So you've got to re-put put yourself together. Complex, I don't know how I managed to, to sort of, you know, step into that, but, you know, and while still surviving that, you know, that journey to the cliff, I'm not allowed to say that. Um, but, you know, my own ideation took me to an edge. Um, and as I said, those little moments kept me going and I had enough conversations to start saying, well, I can, I can, I can hope again, which held me, which anchored me going forward. Right? So when I would get up with hope and say, okay, what am, my task is finding out more about who I am and what I'm going to do. Right? So I went seeking and I had lots of experiences. There's the, uh, the world is an amazing place when you open your eyes and, and, you know, stop spending so much time, you know, looking backwards or, you know, in front of your little focus, right? So I had all these wonderful experiences and I met people and I expanded my world um, and I kept finding things that grew me and every time I grew a bit, I grew further away from the corporate values that I thought was me. So at some point a few years later, I'm getting there and going, man, I do not fit this anymore. This is not me. And I got this sense, so many men I'm sure go through this where they go make a choice and say, I'm going to sublimate myself and accept the fact be, that I have to take on this corporate persona because yeah. um, I have obligations or I feel locked into the financial trap or the hierarchical trap, the identification, I am a corporate guy, my parents knew it, you know, I went to uni, my friends know it, I wouldn't be accepted if I changed. All of that traps you into this and you feel like I have to be this and when my authentic self is closer to this, but I'm going to shut that down and I'm going to stay there. I think that is a recipe for illness and death. 100% agree with that. So I decided to live. And I stepped into, and some people think it's brave, but I thought I had no choice. I was up against a corner. I couldn't keep going. I, you know, I was going to end in disaster. So I chose to, to, to take the money and run. I left. Uh, I, I did not know it was going to be so hard to do. I didn't know just how much I identified as a corporate animal, you know, like yeah. I'm climbing top talent, let me get them, you know. Um it took me 12 months um, and I remember the, you know, slowly, I remember the day where I said, crikey's, I've changed, I've escaped. It was when someone finally asked me, because, you know, you, you, you'd often, the conversation between men is, what do you do? You know, who do you know, what do you do? Um, and when, uh, you know, you, when you know, first left, you'd start, you know, you'd be your old self, right? Oh, I'm an IBM manager. And then it was, oh, I'm an IT manager. And then it's, oh, I work in IT. Or then, oh, yeah, I'm a, 
consultant, freelance, whatever. I remember I'd fully accepted my new position when, because I was doing a little consulting work and stuff, but, you know, not a lot. Um, hmm. And uh, someone said, what do you do? And I go, actually, at the moment, nothing. <laughs> and yeah. at that moment I went, oh, my goodness, right, I'm finally over this, right. And that would that allowed me to then go on uh, different journeys, right? So the journey I then undertook was, man, I haven't been through this for nothing, right? How do I make a purpose out of this? And I became I studied psychology, but psychology really annoyed me because it's not about people. It's about diagnoses. Mm. It's about statistics. Mm. It's about groups, right? And I I wanted to make a, a you know I wanted to make a difference to a person. So I found coaching. So I studied coaching and I ended up teaching coaching um, and uh, just, you know, I just became completely uh, submerged in the, in the concept of positive psychology and coaching and walking with someone and helping them. And I've really, you know, ever since then, so that was about 2000 and, you know, I did some uh, consulting work and stuff um, uh, and none of that worked out really well. Um, but, um, yeah, for the last, say, you know, since 2015, yeah, probably about eight years I've immersed myself in uh, personal development, psychology, uh, counselling, coaching. And um, there's a lot out there. It's an amazing concept. There's also a lot that, you know, people embrace that does, you know, it's a bit poppy and yeah, uh, yeah. yep. Um, but as yes. you know, mm. you know that you know the good co coaching is a powerful, powerful modality, right? A way to face life, and if you're if you do the work and you're good at it, um, the you know the consequences for other people that work with you are amazing. Yeah, and, and the rewards for self, like I, we can't show away from that, like the, the fulfilment that it gives and you would know that, right? Like, I mean, I've had people say to me like, well, where were you when we started? Well, I was actually about to kill myself. Like, yeah. like that, firstly, that shocks you and you go, God, I'm yeah. glad you're telling me this now and not at the time. But, it, but it's like, it's like, wow, like that's, that's the difference it makes, right? Yeah, and I, I love that. I mean, you know, I mean, I recently had the um, privilege of um, uh, being a keynote speaker at the Suicide Memorial, Wesley Missions Memorial at the Opera House, right? Um, and it was just a you know a quick speech about the journey, but in that I just uh, I just realised right, you know, like um, you know that my life had been you know all about suicide, you know, my mother-in-law, my father, you know, determined his own death and, um, you know, friends and, you know, colleagues and, you know, yeah, the kids of, of, of you know, kids I'd coached and stuff. Oh, the list was way too long, right? And what shocked me is not, is that I didn't realise it until I sat back and did an accounting. Mm. And I just went, this is, this is, you know, I, I get this sense of Gandalf now. You know, you know, you we, this. You know, you shall not pass, right? You know, like this. Um, this is not. This is not a, not okay. Um, and it's time for me, as I grew in in understanding of being a father, and a, and as I grew in understanding of being a man, I realised that 
Um, it's not someone else's responsibility as a man, as an elder, as a father. Um, it's it's my it's part, partly my responsibility to step up and say, you know, young men need need some of the uh, you know to hear some of the things I've learnt, and um, older men need to be encouraged in some of the things I've learnt, and um, and then, and if if not me, who? Yeah, that's a great point. Just something you said before around the. Um... You know, there's a whole lot of different people out there and different coaches and there's, there's some popular stuff. What I get a real sense of from you is that you do things your way. You've done all the training, but you applied all the knowledge. And to me, that's the bit that's missing. Yeah. People think they have to go and repeat what everyone else has done. It's like, no, that's just a guide. Yeah. When, when you start doing what's in your heart, like you said before, when you're dealing with grief, when you coach or if you're not a coach, if you're a guide or a leader or a manager, or a boss, and you take what you know, but then lead from the heart, man, that's when the real magic happens because you're coming from experience. Yes, you're coming from knowledge and wisdom, but but through your own lived experience, there is no better training and education than something that you just know so intimately well. So true, mate. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I find it interesting, right? If I gave you a structure, it's like all the things about mental health now is out there, right? Everyone's going, oh, five things to improve your mental health, right? So, you know, and I go, damn, you know, like, yes and absolutely no, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if you you take a walk in nature every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's it's gonna it's gonna be one, you know, small contribution to feeling a little better, right? But if you expect to conquer you know, um, stuff like grief and isolation and, and um, you know, childhood trauma and, uh, you know, um, rejection and, you know, all of those things. If you expect to conquer them uh, resourcefully as, a, as an individual by yourself, right, it's, you're going to end up in a place where uh, the hole seems even bigger than when you started, right? Um, mm. and, and probably left questioning, I followed the five instructions. Why do I feel, still feel like shit? And you become, you become um, uh, pushed away from that common sense, right? So you actually end up making it harder to benefit from that kind of good wisdom, right? I, I, I often think, you know, um, you know, chicken soup is a wonderful way to res restore you. But if you... You know, if it's boiling and fresh and brothy and you tip it on your head, it ain't going to help you, right? <laughs> you know, you know, right? It has to be applied in a certain way to be benefit. Otherwise, it's just, just going to give you more pain. So one of the things men are designed to is to work together. We are pack animals, but even more than that, we've since learnt when we were operating as a group, you know, as a group of elders around the fire or or as a as a hunting pack where we collaborated to to bring down the resource, you know, to bring down the challenge, we've also learnt ten thousand years of wisdom and hard won lessons, right? So we can apply all of that. We don't have to go back to where we were and say, okay, me 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 Tarzan, right? Now you can say, hey, what do we now know? Well, that instinct is. Uh, let's work together, but let's work together in a modality where I'm going, one bloke is going to add, offer some real support 
and it's going to be targeted and it's going to be um, empathic and it's going to be uh, non-conditional, right? And the idea of, and here's the other big thing, clinical resources are necessary and they actually do a great job when you're mentally ill. Yeah. Grief is not mental illness, right? Um, yeah. Distress is not mental illness. When a, a relationship breaks down, that's not mental illness. When you lose your job and feel lost and alone, that's not mental illness, right? Men go through these things every day and they don't, you know, clinical resources can help, but it's not that, you know, the, the power of connection, of conversation, of care from another bloke, right? So one of the things I think we use as an avoidant tactic is to talk to women. Because women are, uh, women are, are wonderfully articulate at this stuff, right? And they will nurture you. They'll do that. They'll share. They'll recognize you. And all of that, you, you can sit there and you can go back to mum's mom's lap. And that does not sucker a man, right? You know, that's a yeah. boy's solution, right? Now, I, I don't know if this is controversial or not. It's just real for me is that I want to take men to a man solution where is where all where the warrior, the king, as well as the you know, as well as the lover and the you know magician, where we can stand up and we can be completely open, vulnerable and soft, but also I don't lose my ability to to run the company just by seeking help. Right? Yep. And that was my experience by getting guidance from women in a way that was actually keeping me emasculated and not allowing me to have the drive and the discipline and, and all of those different things. And that was a real shift for me to realize that, that how far I'd gone down that pattern. Now, this might interest you to know that it was actually another female who helped me realize that and got me back to my master. Yeah, because they're, they're incredibly <laughs> wise, right? You know, we, you know they're, yeah. they're amazing creatures. I, I like, you know, you know, I suspect they we need them more than they need us, right? But, um, um, yeah. you know, but in the same time, I, you know, like I now, and I had that same experience where I was, I was mm. sitting there and I'm going, wow, this is fantastic. And yet at the same time, I realised it wasn't what I was yeah. really needing next, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and to find the company of men again was a joy as well as a, you know, a challenge. Because to be honest, um, this is not our comfort space. Like what the conversation we're having here is rare. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I wish it wasn't. And I wish, um, but, I, you know, I've, a dear friend of mine has looked at me over a beer and said, John, can't we just talk about footy, right, you know? <laughs> Yeah. It, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's not easy to do this, but it is so worth it, right? And I'm going to challenge every man thinking about this to say, okay, let's have an experience of it. Let let me help find conversations that are a little deeper and see how I feel. Yeah. And if you're not ready, even if you're just listening to this, then you're already getting the benefit. And that's to me, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing these interviews and particularly with people like yourself who are doing this work because if you're not ready to have the conversation, well done for showing up here and listening. And our intention, I'm sure the same for you, John, is that you get whatever you need out of this to take your next step. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe in seeding. You know, um, I don't need to see, unlike um, um, my corporate persona, um, I don't need to see an ROI, right? I, I, what I want to see is... Um, I. I have the faith that um, my truth will will 
germinate in soil where it's needed to grow, right? So, you know, I feel like yeah. I'm throwing the seeds out there and some will die and some will grow. Just different different ROI. So you yeah, get a return, well, but it's a, a far more valuable one. Well, the, the, the community will benefit from every young man I get a chance to talk to. I just hope, oh, well, maybe they'll grow, they'll take that back into their world. And, and as a consequence, you know, we are energetic beings. The force a man has goes way beyond our, you know, our, our current sort of personal space, right? And, uh, you know, it's up, to, it's up to men to step up to solve some of the problems, right? Um, yeah. And that's, um, you, know, you know, it's got nothing to do with fe- feminism. It's got nothing to do with, um, you know, um, you know, you know, woo foo stuff. What it has is, do you want to be, you know, like stop? A real man thinks beyond his own castle and starts, you know, looking after the landscape. You know, that's what my, I believe. I love that. And it ties in with two things that you've talked about a fair bit, which is the ripple and yeah. and, and that impact that you can have as a man. And, and it's that's it, right? It's like that's the. That's the energy, and you can look at it from a scientific, a spiritual, or whatever perspective. Yeah. But that's the impact that we can have when we stand up and actually awesome. stand yeah. for something, stand in our power, and allow other men the permission to do the same. I love it. I love it. And um, I remember a mate of mine who looked at me and said, um, "You know, because I'd changed so much since he'd seen me." He said, uh, "Was it worth it?" And I go, "Absolutely." You know. Yeah. yeah. Every time. Doesn't help. Yeah, it does. Um, John, where can people get in touch with you? Where can people find out more about what you do? Um, And then also maybe tell us a little bit about what you do. Fabulous. Um, So, yeah, Mentoring Men is, um, is, uh, you know, I'm a part of the Mentoring Men team. I train men in mentoring, which is really exciting. So, you know, in the last 12 months we've trained about, 600 men or last 18 months we trained about 600 men and all awesome. that all that training is simply about um uh you know that listening if you can care and if you can listen to another man and if you can care about what who he is and what it and what happens to him you're ready to mentor right it's like the conversation is a therapeutic device not you're not a therapist but you are having something that can be therapeutic um, and that relationship is can, can change a man's life. Now it can be, you know, as simple as um, as uh, being a bit of a wall to bounce a ball against for three months, or it can be about you know take undertaking um, and offering something that was missing from a man's life, right? And that relationship can then go on. It can, some of our mentors and mentees have been together for years, right? Um, and that changes, right? They they grow into you know friends and. Part, you know, and and um, uh, you know, and well conditioned. You know, they have this well conditioned support frame. Um, so mentoring is is a really powerful experience for one bloke, and it's not it's not a, a broken experience. It's not like you're coming from a broken place. You know, you literally, if you you know, if you want to improve your golf game, you go to a, you know, go to a, a golf pro. If you want to. You know, if you want to get fit, you go to a fitness trainer. Well, if you want some, you know, some be- you know new options in life, go to a mentor, right? And uh, Mentoring Men's available. The website, which is just mentoringmen.org.au, 
has got all you need to sign up and information. I also coach, um, I, I, like on the Northern Beaches, Northern Beaches Men is a Facebook page. So if you just, um, if you just, uh, you know, search for Northern Beaches Men. Um, that's in um, Sydney. That's in Sydney for those people Sydney, who uh, are. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sydney. And, uh, you know, it's a remote way of connecting. There's 1,100 men on that place and it's not just Northern Beaches, but, you know, there is both physical and online things that we do. I would, and, and if you want to um, ask me, I can give you a local resource, right? Because there is so much going on that is supporting about, you know, good blokes talking to other good, other blokes, right? Um, so things like Men's Walk and Men's Table and Men's Sheds and Mr. Perfect and Mongrel Men and all these things, all, all this yeah. stuff is going on, right? And I can give a bloke a heads up if he needs, just needs to connect or even check it out, right? All I'm asking for is that um, blokes just open their minds enough to check something out and see if it works for them. Um, and then directly, I'm, I'm, I coach men most of the time. Um, <laughs> you talk, talk about getting, you know, getting back. I mean, like I, I don't uh, – um, it does, it's not a lucrative gig when you when you just um, when you're a community coach, but um, uh, I just love um, either you know either chatting to a bloke who's just looking for a bit of backup or uh, helping a guy find something that works for him. And he you can reach me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, and John Millam Coaching is um, you know I think the website's down, but it'll be back up soon. So, um, awesome. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, there's some ways to get in. I, I'm so excited uh, with the opportunity, right, just to connect and share. I do men's circles and stuff, and every one of them just confirms that this is the direction we should be going in. So I hope other blokes can get a chance to find that. Certainly saved. It certainly it has saved my life, right, being able to connect and to, to follow this path because in recent times, you know, like once you think about options, um, you know, you, you often get to a point when you're really struggling and you're in pain. Um, it's not unusual to think of, well, I want to get rid of this pain. It's a genuine choice. It's not. And the thing that saves me is knowing that there are other options that I'm, I'm still willing and ready to explore. Yeah. Well said. John, uh, you talked about, you know, Connecting with good blokes, great to connect with you. You're a good bloke, and I so much appreciate all that you've shared. And this was a really powerful conversation, particularly for any men listening and any uh, people who care about men. So thank you so much. Ian, you, this is a fabulous thing you're doing, mate. I love your work. I, I have a copy of The Grief Code, and I'm really impressed by it. So, And I'm just very grateful to have this opportunity and chat. And you've been so easy. You've let me, you know, go, you know, say whatever. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, thank you again. Cheers. Cheers, mate. All the best. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.